So today we are in week three of our series, Summer Playlist. And unfortunately, as fun as it would be, we are not just talking about summer's greatest hits. What we're doing is we're comparing what Paul prayed for individuals and churches as he wrote letters that we have as part of our New Testament to the greatest hits of summer. And what and the reason we're using the analogy of summer's greatest hits is that just like summer's hits, big hits, Paul's prayers have a predictable timing and pattern. They should stick with us. And if we'll approach them with the right mindset, maybe just maybe they can actually come to define a stretch of growth and a stretch of, 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 of life change for us as we, as we attempt to put into practice what Paul prayed for the churches then and what we believe is that what Paul prayed for them may be the very same things that God wants for us here and now. And so the first week, as we, as we looked at the letter to the church in Ephesus, I challenge you to stay grateful and to stay hungry, to stay grateful and to stay hungry, grateful and hungry. Grateful meaning we're grateful for everything that God has already done, Hungry meaning we believe that there is still more to come and we're going to press in and we're going to pursue God for everything that he has still to do in us and through us and around us and for those around us. Then last week, I loved what Pastor Devin did as we looked at the, the prayer that Paul prayed at the beginning of his letter to the Corinthian church where, where, where Pastor Devin said that we don't focus on the faults of others. We focus on the faithfulness of God, that people will always fail us. People will always have the potential to let us down, but God never lets us down. He is faithful every single time. He is faithful all the time because that's who he is. And today we're going to jump into Paul's prayer at the beginning of his letter to the Philippian church. Now, before we jump into the letter that he wrote to the Philippian church, we actually have to look at some background to understand what Paul is praying and why Paul would say the words that he's, that he's saying and why he's praying the things that he's praying for them. In Acts chapter 16, we're told a very specific dream that Paul had that would lead to Paul's interactions with the people of Philippi. After attempting to enter a city on their travels, on their missionary journeys, on their travels to spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus, Luke tells us that the Luke who was traveling with Paul at this point, tells us that the spirit of Jesus would not let us enter that city. So whatever city they were attempting to enter, they believe that God actually prevented them from going into that city, which is an interesting and odd thing to say or to write, but something that undoubtedly happened uh, in, in some way. Now that night, Paul had a dream of a man from Macedonia, and what we're told in scripture, he was standing and begging for Paul to come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, if you don't know this, Macedonia is another name for Greece. It's a New Testament name for Greece. So Paul wakes up and tells the group that he's traveling with about his dream, and the whole traveling party agrees, this is what we're going to do next. God gave you a vision in your dream of a people in Macedonia who need our help, who need to come, who need us to come tell them about Jesus, and we're going to follow where God is leading us. So they get up and immediately the ne that next day, they, they, they believe God you know, stopped them from going into this city because God wanted them to go on to the next place. Now, to go to Macedonia from where they first went meant that the gospel for the very first time would go to Europe, would reach the European continent. So as they go, this will be the first instance of the gospel good news of Jesus' death and resurrection reaching the continent of Europe. So they go, and because of the road they would travel, Philippi would be the very first city they would encounter as they traveled. Now, three memorable things happen in Philippi during their three-month their three month stay, their two- to three-month time in, in, in Philippi. We're, this is recorded in Acts chapter 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to try to tell you the stories um, really quickly. The first day that they're there, they go out to try to find a place of reverence, a place of worship. Their, their custom was to go find 
the, the temple or, or, a, or a Jewish synagogue. But in as they go to Europe, as they get further and further away from Jerusalem, there's a lot less synagogues. So they don't find a synagogue. They go to find a place of prayer. They go to find a place of reverence. While they're at this place of reverence, while they're at this place of prayer, they meet a woman named Lydia who is described as a worshiper of God, meaning she is not a full-on Jew. She's not following everything about the, about the Jewish Old Testament law or practices, but she believes and worships and prays to the God of the Old Testament. So they did begin to talk to her about what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament has now been fulfilled by Jesus. And Lydia becomes the first convert in Europe, the first person to hear the gospel and to receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to receive this new life in Jesus. She becomes the first person in Europe to receive the good news of Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. She was, she was, she was a woman who owned her own business. She was, a, she was an importer and exporter of, of dyed garments. And, she, and she, she was a wonderful woman. She invites them to stay at their house during their extended stay there. During their time there, a few weeks later, they discover that as they're traveling through the city, as they're going through the city to proclaim the good news of Jesus, there is this girl who has a demonic spirit in her, and she is going around sarcastically and annoyingly proclaiming that these guys are come to are come from God to be the messengers and what they say is true. Now, it's a weird thing to want that girl to stop. Like, like imagine you're Paul and you're like, I'm so annoyed by how annoying she's been and how sarcastic this spirit is being that, that even though what it's saying is true, I got to get it to stop because no one will actually listen to us because she's being so loud. And so they tell, the, they tell this spirit, you have to go. In Jesus' name, you have to go. And instantly this demonic spirit leaves. Now, unfortunately, when the demonic spirit left, there were people who actually owned this girl and they made a fortune off of her ability because of the spirit that was within her. They had made a fortune off of telling people their future. And so when, when the spirit went, their source of income went and they decided to make up lies about Paul and his traveling party. And so Paul and his traveling party were arrested. So the first amazing thing that happens in Philippi is Lydia becomes a follower of Jesus. The first person in Europe to hear and receive the gospel becomes a follower of Jesus. The second thing is this girl who has been tormented by this spirit is set free by an amazing display of God's power through Paul and through his, the, his traveling companions. And then the third thing that happens is what happens after they're arrested. So they're arrested, they are put in prison, and while they're in prison, they begin singing songs and they begin singing songs and they begin singing hymns, uh, thanking God for who he is and thanking God for what he's done. Now, I don't know if I would have that kind of perspective if I was ever thrown in prison. I hope I don't ever find out. But I, like, I, I just know that I, I would struggle to be that grateful while sitting in prison falsely accused for doing something good for someone. So anyway, so, so they're sitting in, in prison and they're singing, singing psalms and they're singing hymns. And while they're singing these songs and while they're singing songs of gratitude and they're praying prayers of gratitude to, to God, a gigantic earthquake just so happens to come and shakes the walls and throws out all the lights and the, and the doors of the prison are miraculously opened. I mean, like, what, a, what an amazing coincidence of time, right? Not a coincidence of time. And so the jailer, the prison, the, the prison warden, runs in assuming that when the doors open, everybody would run for their lives, everyone would head for the hills, and, he, and he's about to take his own life because in those days, if the prisoners escape, the prison warden is held responsible. He knows someone will take his life. He figures he better do it himself. 
And so he's about to take his own life when Paul and his fellow companions, they say, do not take your own life. We're still here. God opened the prison doors and they chose to stay because they believed there was something else that God wanted to accomplish through their time in prison. I, again, I can't ha handle this type of perspective. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So the prison warden says to them, wait, you're still here? Why would you possibly choose to stay? They stay. They, he says, well, how, well, how can I, how can I, like they, they preach the gospel. He says, well, how can I be saved? He said, they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and you can be saved, you and your household. He becomes a follower of Jesus because of their faithfulness and their willingness to endure persecution and their willingness to endure being wrongfully accused. Like, to, like it's unbelievable. These things all happen. And so they're, eventually they're, they're released from prison. They're allowed to walk about freely, but they're asked to leave Philippi. And so they leave Philippi and they go on to the next city. And the church in Philippi was born out of Lydia's house and out of people who witnessed a, a girl being set free from, from, from a demonic spirit and, a, and out of a jailer and his family and his friends who experienced the love of Jesus through these people who were imprisoned wrongly. So the, these things happen. It's absolutely amazing. And God shows up because of their obedience. Let, let, now, let, let, me, let me kind of pause here. I know we haven't read any scripture yet. I know I've kind of just told you a story of what happens and what's recorded in Acts chapter 16 in the city of Philippi. But what we see here is so amazing. God called them to go. God calls his companions to Macedonia, to Greece, to Europe. They go, and immediately, as soon as they get there, they start to see God move there with the same power that they have seen God move closer to home. God called them to go, and when they responded with obedience to God's call, God revealed himself and showed his power and his strength. So here's the conclusion that I want to draw from this story before we actually get to the portion of scripture that we're going to read today. If you'll answer God's call with obedience, God will respond with his power on display. If you will answer God's call with obedience, God will respond with his power on display. Paul's experience from a dream to Philippi from a dream calling him to Philippi gives us a clear example of this. God calls Paul Paul responds with obedience to what God has asked him to do. And God shows up with power to do what only God can do. Because of Paul's obedience to God's call and God's response to hit in power, the gospel got to and was received in a place that opened the door to an entire continent. I mean, this is unheard of. And I'm telling you, in 2022, this is still how God accomplishes what God wants to accomplish on the earth. God places something on our hearts or draws our attention to something. This is what the call of God often looks and feels like today. He calls us to something and he requires our willingness to step out in obedience. And every time we step out in obedience, God responds with his power and with his presence to meet us at our level of obedience. We could say it this way, God's power meets us at our level of obedience. God's power doesn't meet us at our level of good intentions. God's power doesn't meet us at our level of wishing that God would do something. God's power doesn't always even meet us at the level of our prayers that God would ultimately do something. God's power meets us at our level of obedience. And here's why I say that. There are things that I believe God has called us to do that God has called you to do, and they have not come to be. And they have not come to be because we have not been willing to step out and act in obedience. 
When we feel the call of God, when God gets our attention, when God focuses our attention on something, when God brings something to our hearts and brings something to our focus and says, this is something I'm like, someone needs to do something about this. God has called us and we've prayed about it and we've thought about it and we've sought wise counsel about it. And we go, well, what, someone should do something. I'm going to pray about it. Someone should do something. I'm going to pray about it. When at the end of the day, we haven't done what God has called us to do. And until we're willing to do what God has called us to do, until we step out in obedience in response to the call of God on our lives, we will not actually see God meet our meet with power our level of obedience because we're not actually being obedient. For some of you, there are lost people in your life that you know God has called you to reach with God's love and the good news that Jesus died and rose for them. And you've been praying and you've been thinking and nothing is happening. And I'm just going to say this. If God has called you to reach them, God has called you to do more than pray for them. I'm going to say this as your pastor. You should be praying for every person that's lost, every person that's far from God, every person that doesn't doesn't know God. That should not be a unique thing to any one person in your life. As a follower of Jesus, it's part of our responsibility to pray for the lost, to pray that lost people would come to know God. But if God has put someone specific on your heart and your mind, like God puts some sometimes specific people on my heart and mind. It is time to move beyond prayer, to move beyond thinking. It's time to move toward a place of action and to actually speak up and to actually audibly share the good news of Jesus, whether it's through your testimony or whether it's through sharing what God has done in your life or whether it's sharing what you know is possible for God to do for them through his word. It's time to audibly share Jesus's love and the good news of Jesus with people that God has placed on your heart and brought to your And when you do, and when you do, and when I do, God will meet with his presence. He will meet with his power. And what seems impossible will happen, that people who are far from God will be filled with life in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what else I know is true. As long as we sit on the sidelines praying and hoping and praying and hoping and praying, hoping when God has called us to obedience, when God has called us to action, as long as we sit on the sideline, nothing happens. When God has drawn your attention to someone specific, it's because he wants you to do something specific and he wants you to reach them with your words and with your actions and with your love. For some of you, and another example of this is that for some of you, there's something going on in your family and things are funky. You're praying and you're praying and you're talking to your mama and you're talking to your daddy and you're listening to podcasts and you're doing a million different things and you're reading books and you're trying to figure out what's going wrong in your family and you're trying to figure out like why things are all all funky and you're trying to figure out like what's going on and why things are weird. And here's the thing that I know, there is nothing wrong with any of those things. But if those are excuses that keep you avoiding the simple things that God has instructed you to do in your family relationships, then you have lost sight of what you need to do most. Because here's what I know, God's power doesn't always meet us in the podcast or it doesn't meet us on the phone with mama or daddy and it does, the, God's power doesn't always meet us when we're having coffee with a friend to complain about how hard things are. But God's power moves in families when husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church 
always. God's power moves in families when wives respect and honor their husbands as they do Christ. God's power moves in families when children honor their father and their mother, and God's power moves in families when parents maintain a level of godly consistency in the lives of their kids. God's power, it meets us at the level of our obedience. And so as a family, you are called and you have been given a specific command by God. And as long as you're not doing that, you may just be completely missing the power of God and what God actually wants to do to bring about peace within your family. So I've got one question for you today and then we'll dive into, into, into Philippians. What is the thing that God told you to do that you have yet to do? What is the thing that God told you to do that you have yet to do? What's the thing that God placed on your heart? What's the thing that you've read in scripture that you know you're not doing, that you know you should be doing, that you think there's a podcast, you think there's a phone call, you think there's wise counsel that will help you? Like, here's the thing. They're all great things, but if there's something that God has drawn your attention to and told you to do, if there's something that God's word has specifically commanded you to do and you're not yet doing it, God's power will only meet you at the level of your obedience. And so the second you step out in action, the second you step out doing what God has called you to do, God's power will meet you there. And it may not meet you until you get there and until you go there and until you obey there. Now, that's a whole sermon before we even get to the passage that we're going to read today. Now let's dive into Philippians. Here's Paul's actual opening prayer for the people in the church at Philippi. Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, that's the first passage, part of the passage we're going to read, but here's the thing. Sometimes a prayer is more than a prayer. Sometimes a prayer is a reminder. And in this instance, Paul wants to draw their attention to something because what Paul knows and what Paul has heard from them is they are beginning to experience some persecution. They're beginning to feel like what God started may not actually finish. They're beginning to wonder, does Paul actually care for us because we haven't heard much from Paul lately? Like they're beginning to wonder like what is going on because things are not all going well. We received Jesus but things haven't gone automatically better. They're experiencing some of what, maybe, what many of us have experienced where we thought that Jesus would just make our lives better. And what happened was it didn't happen that way. And so they need a reminder. They need a reminder that that's not what this is all about, but that God is in control of what this is all about. So in verse five, Paul reminds them of the relationship they have with him. They are partners with Paul. They are partners with Paul. In verse six, Paul then reminds them that what God began, God will complete. That what God began, God will complete. And to be very clear, Paul had seen it begin in their lives. Paul was there when Lydia became the first convert in Europe. Paul was there when a girl was set free from a demon that had controlled her and possessed her for years. Paul was there when the earthquake happened and a prison guard decided not to take his own life but because of the goodness and the love of God on display through the lives of these Christians. Paul had been there and seen the beginning of the work of God in their lives, in the city of Philippi, in the church at Philippi. Paul had seen the beginning of it. And even though Paul wouldn't see the end of it because he was now sitting in a Roman prison, Paul wouldn't see the end of it. He was certain that God would complete everything that he had started. So let's be honest, at times all of us need to be reminded of this truth that what God began in you, he'll complete for you. What God began in you, he will complete for you. Some of you, there 
there's something that God started and you find yourself somewhere in between the beginning and the finish line and you're wondering if God's going to get around to completing the work that he began in and for and through you. You know, will that temptation ever fully go away? Like it's gone, like I, I, I don't experience it the same way I used to, but it's not gone. Will self-control ever become like my default? Like I'm, I'm more self-controlled than I was before, but I'm not like self-controlled. Like, like it, I'm not where I want to be. Will, will you ever get control of your mouth so your mouth doesn't continually get you in trouble? Will you ever fully overcome your anxiety? Will fear ever fully go away? See, we all have those questions from time to time. It's actually the natural outflow of being grateful and hungry like I challenged us to be a few weeks ago. It's the natural outflow of that. You know, thank God I'm not where I was but I'm still not where I want to be. I'm not where I was, thank God. But I'm not where I want to be. I'm kind of like here in the middle. Thank God I'm not full of fear like I once was, but I'm still not fearless like I want to be. Thank God I'm making strides at my career, but I'm still not in the position I want to be in. Thank God I'm not drinking every day like I used to, but I'm not completely free of this stuff yet. So Paul, but it, so in the middle of that tension, in the middle of the middle, in the middle of the middle, Paul was certain and I'm certain, Paul used that word, and I am certain that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until it is completed. Paul was certain, and I am certain that he who began, that God who began, he will complete because God is faithful, because God is consistent, because God finishes what he starts. He will accomplish complete victory. He will bring about complete freedom. He will bring about complete peace, and he will bring about complete joy and complete hope and complete life for you. If you will be patient, if you will hold on, if you will stay steadfast, and if you will stay faithful to the one who is faithful to complete what he begins. Paul says, I'm certain. I'm certain that he who began the good work in you will carry it on until it is completed. What God began in you, he will complete for you. Now, go on in verse seven, it says this. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. In this verse, Paul joins Carly Rae Jepsen from 2015 and saying, I really, 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 really like you. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But, but kind of, kind of like Paul is saying like the same, he does the same thing here as he did before. He wants them to remind them of the special relationship he has with them. But in doing so, he wants to draw their attention to something. He says in, in verse seven, part one, Paul reminds them of the special place in his heart. In verse seven, part two, Paul reminds them that they have a special favor of God. They have special favor of God that's on their lives. That they have a special place in his heart and they have a special place in the favor of of God. And that culminates in part three in verse eight, where Paul says, whether imprisoned or free sharing the gospel, you have a special place in my heart and you enjoy the special favor of God, that God is with you, that God is for you, that God cares for you, that God has a plan for you, that God has a purpose for you. You have a special place in the favor of God. And you have that special place in the favor of God, whether you're imprisoned or free whether sick or healed, whether on the way or already found the way home, on your best day or on your worst day, whether you made progress today or you feel like you took three steps backwards today, regardless of what has happened today, regardless of what happens tomorrow, you have a special 
favor of God. So whether you're imprisoned or free, whether it's the best day of your life or the worst day of your life, whether things got better today or they got worse today, whether you're sick today or you're healed today, regardless of what has happened, you have the special favor of God. God is with you. His presence is with you. He has never left you and he never will leave you. You enjoy the special favor of God. And Paul wanted them to know that they could live every day aware that the Holy Spirit of God went with them. And I want you to know today that regardless of what your life looks like today, you can live today confident knowing that God is with you. Here's the way I would say it. You can have confidence in God regardless of the circumstances of life. You can have confidence that God is with you regardless of what the circumstances of your life look like at any given moment. Paul, to put some perspective on this, Paul is writing this while sitting in a Roman prison writing to people who are experiencing Greek and Roman persecution of the church. Paul is writing, accused of things that he did not do, sitting in a prison because at least in a prison cell, he's alive. While living free would mean the constant threat from those who wanted him dead. And I'm just telling you, if Paul can be confident that God is with him in that circumstance while sitting in a prison facing death threats, I'm just saying, you can be confident knowing that God is with you regardless of the circumstances of your life. You can be confident knowing that God is with you today in the middle of your diagnosis, in the middle of your joy, in the middle of your peace, in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of the fight that you just had with your husband or your wife, in the middle of, the, of your kids are, are, are acting a fool and they're acting like crazy. In the middle of all that, you can know that God is with you on your best day, on your worst day, in the crazy and in the peaceful. He is with you every step of the way because God is not equivalent to the circumstances of your life. God is above the circumstances of your life and he's with you through every circumstance of life. Now, after all of these reminders, Paul finally prays for something for the Philippian Christians that he knows so well and who have partnered so faithfully with him. Here's what he prays. Verse nine, he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So there's three things that Paul prays there. There's three things that Paul prays for his friends, the Philippian church. Here's what he prays. He prays that their love will overflow, that their understanding will grow, and that the fruit of their life will show. He prays that their love will overflow, that their understanding of God will grow, and that the fruit of their life will show. And so here's the thing. When he says, yeah, I pray that your love will overflow, he is praying that they would love God so much that it pours out to those around you. In the same way that if you have a cup and you take it and you try to put enough water in it, he says, I hope that you pray that you love God so much that what's in you begins to overflow around you, that, that your love for God won't be able to be contained by your life and by, by the relationship, but that it actually overflows to those around you. Love God so much that it pours out to those around you. And here's what, here's what Paul knew, knew and here's what, here's what I know. A love that overflows requires more than feeling. A love that overflows requires more than feeling. And so here's the question that I would love to challenge you with today. What can you do this summer to grow and show a love that overflows? 
What can you do in your life to, to grow your love to a place that it overflows and it shows to the world around you? Or not maybe to the world around you, but to someone around you. That the people that you have influenced, the people that you spend the most time with, whether it's at your home or at your office or at your school, what can you do this summer to grow your love so that it shows and over, so that your love for God overflows and it pours out to those around you. What can you do? What can everyone, there's some step that you can take. There's something that love requires of you this summer, that if people are going to know you for your love, you actually have to do something more. You have to do something different. You have to do something new. So what can you do this summer so that your love grows and it shows into a love that overflows to those around you? Secondly, he prayed that their understanding would grow, that not only will you love God, but you will understand him more and more. Now, there's a phrase that I've used a lot in our church, and I'm starting to kind of rethink it. The phrase that I've often said is, I don't just want you to know more about God. I want you to know God more. And it's a great phrase. It's memorable. It's like, it uses like a contrast, like, whoa, it's a fantastic phrase. But the reason I'm starting to, to rethink that phrase is simply this. I, it, the reason I say it is I want us to build a relationship with God. I want us to build a relationship where we're not just praying to check a box and say that we did it, but that we're growing in our relationship with God through our prayer life. I want us when we read the Bible to not just check it off and go, well, I read this book and I read this book and I read this book and I read the whole Bible. Woo, yay for me. And today I read it. Like, I want us to know God more through the reading of his word. I like the, it, it, It's a big deal. That is what I want. But here's the thing. Sometimes you need to know more about God in order to know God more. Sometimes you need to know more about God in order to know God more. And so the question that I would ask you today and challenge you with is simply this. What will you do this summer to grow your understanding of God? Maybe it's reading some books that you've never read. Maybe it's making a challenge that every two weeks you'll read a book about God, that you'll pick up some books by C.S. Lewis, or you'll pick up some books that, 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 that point you in the direction of understanding who God is and his character and his love and his actions for you, that you would actually grow to understand God more and to know more of God's promises for you, to understand how God wants to relate to you, that you would understand God more. So how are you going to grow in your understanding of God this Summer and here's the th and the third thing is this he wants your the fruit of your life to show. It, Paul says you pure and blameless. He wants you, you to be pure and blameless. He wants the fruit of your salvation will show. And here's the key: the fruit will show, but it won't be about you. The fruit will show, but it won't be about you. Here's the goal, is that your fruit of your life with God should show others the goodness of God. And if it doesn't show others the goodness of God, it's not actually the fruit of salvation. It's the fruit of effort. It's the fruit of holding on to old, old, law, old Testament ideas and old covenant laws. But at the end of the day, if God has done something to set you free and to bring you salvation, it will show to others the goodness of of God. If you ever start to think that the fruit of your life is for you or about you, you have taken your eyes off of Jesus and it's time to remember who and what it's ultimately all about. Your new life is from him. Your new life is in him. Your new life is for him and you bear fruit by him and through him to those he has called you to love. <clears throat> He's the source of every good thing in you and for you and through you. And when someone notices that good in you, you turn their eyes and you point to the one who has done it in you because he can do it in them as well. And so here's your playlist for this week. Here's your playlist for, the, for this week of this summer. 
You do whatever God is calling you to do because his power meets you at your level of obedience. Be certain that what God began, he will complete. He will never leave you stuck in the moment. What You have confidence that he is with you regardless of the circumstances of life because he has never left your side. And you grow in your love. You grow your understanding of God. And the fruit of your life will ultimately point other people to God. And that's a heck of a playlist for this week. If you drive around this week, if you sit, sit around, if you're hanging around your house, this week and you're ever wondering like what should I be doing that list right there you do whatever God has called you to do because he'll meet you at the level of your your obedience you be certain that God is with you when life feels uncertain he has never left you he never will leave you he will be with you in the middle of every circumstance of life you have confidence that he is with you regardless of the circumstances of life and you grow you do you take a step to grow in love you take a step to grow in your understanding of God and you take a step to let the fruit of your salvation show to the world around you. That's a heck of a playlist. That's a really great summer playlist. And it's one that I hope you'll put into practice this week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're so good. Thank you for these words from Paul. Thank you for what he prayed for the Philippian Christians. And thank you that we can embrace these same things today. God, that what you wanted for them is still what you want for us today. So God, help us to meet you in in what you've called us to do. Help us to take action. Help us to step out in an obedience, knowing that you will meet us at the level of our, our obedience. God, help us to be certain that what you began, you will complete, that you'll never leave us stuck in the middle. But God, while we feel the middle, you will, you're moving us every step of the way. And God, help us to know that you are with us every step of the way. And God, help our love to, for others to grow because of our love for you. Help us to grow our understanding of you so that we can grow in our relationship to you. And God, help us ultimately to have the fruit of our life and the fruit of what you've done in our lives. Show to the world around us the goodness that you have for the entire world. We love you, God. Help us to do this. Help us to put this all into practice and to accomplish what you want in our world. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.